Welcome to Unfolding Words. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and every week I come to share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Now, let's unfold the word. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that shows up on a regular basis in the Bible, and it holds great significance in both the Old and the New Testament. That is whales. And wait, before you tune out, (laughs) I want you to stick around because I'm going to unfold something that's really neat about whales and their significance and importance for your life. Living water in jars of clay. That's essentially what whales are when they're mentioned in the Bible. And there's a book by James B. Jordan called The World of the Patriarchs that touches on this subject of whales. He writes in his book, Edenic imagery is reinforced by the attention given to whales of waters in connection with the patriarchal ministry. So if you follow the patriarchs in the Old Testament, you'll notice that whales pop up quite a bit. If you just do a study on that, you'll be fascinated about the themes that pop up as you trace the imagery and the symbolism of whales in the Old Testament. And I love James Jordan because he has really transformed the way that I read the Bible and realizing that many of the things that we overlook in the Bible hold a great amount of significance. He has a book called Through New Eyes, Developing a Biblical Worldview of the Bible that really changed how I approach the Bible when I'm reading it and realizing that even an ordinary object like a tree or a rock stands for something. There is no wasting imagery or symbolism in the Bible. And in this book, World, The World of the Patriarchs, he goes on to make this point that the springs spoke of spiritual nourishment, a nourishment offered by the nations of priests to the Gentiles. Whales paint an accurate picture of what the people of God are to represent. Mankind was formed in the beginning from the dust of the earth, and the goal was for people to carry the living waters of God's spirit to the whole world. And Jordan writes, the Bible consistently speaks of water as life-giving, and it is water that feeds the plants animals, and men in the land, enabling them to grow toward their heavenly calling. And if you remember in the book of Genesis, Jacob, when he left after deceiving his brother, he went to an exodus of sort to his family member Laban's land. And there we see so much imagery from Eden that takes over the storyline and that has a great deal of prominence. These whales that are mentioned serve as a sort of mini representation of the union that takes place between heaven and earth, where living water exists in hollow out places that are scattered throughout the land. And these springs of nourishment would not only be noticed by God's people, but by the Gentiles who traveled through the land as well. When Jacob encounters a whale in the book of Genesis, it's a prime example of how part of nature is used as a symbol that points to a greater truth. 
So in Genesis 29, verses 2 and 3, it says, As he, Jacob, looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. And then we jump down a few verses, verses 9 and 10 go on to say, While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Rachel was given a very appropriate name. Her name means you or lamb. And she serves as a picture of sorts of the church, full of sheep who are all being led to drink the well's living waters. And Jacob is a type of Jesus who is giving living waters to the church, which is also referred to as the bride of Christ. Rachel would interestingly enough later become Jacob's bride. But because all the flock, and we're speaking symbolically, the flock of people, Jews and Gentiles had not gathered yet, Jacob would have to symbolically roll the stone back onto the mouth of the well until God's appointed time. Symbols in the Bible go from glory to glory, meaning that they mature in their imagery. And the story of the Bible is one unified narrative that builds upon itself to reveal more as the storyline unfolds. So Genesis 29 is pointing to a greater truth that Jesus Christ will bring into full glory in the New Testament. So if we flip forward to John chapter 4, Jesus arrives in Samaria and goes to the field where Jacob's well was located. And there the story comes full circle as he reveals to a Samaritan woman that he is the well that offers the true living waters. I'm going to read John chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. When Jesus questions her, it helps in rolling away the stone that's covering her own heart so that she can see her need for the true living waters from heaven. This water is poured out on a foreigner, a Samaritan woman who will join God's flock. Remember the symbolism from Jacob's and the flock of sheep. Isaiah chapter 12 says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. 
So this drawing water from the wells is no longer a chore like it was in the Old Testament days. That Pulling that stone off of that well was hard work. It is now a duty of delight for us to draw the water, Holy Spirit that abides within us. It is a joy for us to do that now. And then in the book of John, chapter 7, we see more of this imagery of water. Verse number 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is the living water that flows out of believers who are walking wells in this earth. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you have accepted him as your savior. You are now one of those walking wells in this earth that bring the water to people who need it. And the stone that Jacob rolled off of the mouth of the well in the Old Testament foreshadows the rolling away of the great stone from Jesus's tomb. See how all of these images piggyback on one another, but this stone will never have to be put back over the well again. Living water now flows into eternity for both Jew and the Gentile. So in the book of Matthew, we see this imagery of the stone being rolled away after Jesus's resurrection. In Matthew 28, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The stone that marked the finality of death and prevented the continual flow of water now becomes a symbol of victory over death. And it serves as a throne where the angel of the Lord sits. The whales, which were part of the imagery of these sanctuary oases that the author James Jordan highlighted in his book, are a shadow of the glorified whales in the New Testament, specifically the tomb that held Jesus's body and ultimately Jesus himself. Salvation in Christ is presented through the imagery of these whales. So we see whales and water, shepherds and big stones, and they all provide a means that we can better understand the intangible aspects of our faith. Every human soul has thirst, not a physical thirst, but a parallel is drawn. Your body gets thirsty when you go without water. The same with your soul. When your soul goes without Jesus, it gets thirsty. Your body cannot survive without water, just like your soul cannot survive without Jesus. Jesus is that spiritual water that we drink. The scripture says that he says, come to me and drink. Jesus doesn't just have what our souls need. He is what our souls need. Our souls, our hearts, our very lives were made to be filled by Jesus and Jesus alone. 
There's a longing in all of our hearts. You hear people say that we have a God-shaped hole in our souls that only he can fill. And that's because it's reserved for Jesus. So your soul, just like your body, has the ability to drink spiritually, though, not physically. And if you don't drink Jesus, you will find something else as a replacement. We see it all the time, whether it's unhealthy relationships or money or status. You can name a number of things that people use to satisfy this thirstiness in their souls, but they'll continually be thirsty because what they're drinking from is not what is required. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the thirsty soul. So I hope that when you read the Bible, you look at this story of the whales that you'll stop and think of them in a new way. That's it for this episode of Unfolding Words. I hope you join me back here next week as we unfold some more beautiful truths from Scripture. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.